and the kids are dismissed to go downstairs for Children's Church. Um, and Brother Kirby is uh, so generous to come and to, uh, to le- preach God's Word to us this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron, and thank you for the opportunity uh, to be here today. It's good to be with you guys. Um, some of you may remember me. Uh, I think I came, it was back in August or September, a group took a trip to Africa, and Aaron had reached out and asked me to come uh, lead worship for a couple weeks. And uh, beyond that, uh, I think it's been 14 years now, it was back in 2006, because Mandy was pregnant with our first child, uh, that we came uh, for about six months and helped serve uh, here, is back when Danny Moore was still here, uh, serve as a uh, worship leader. And at a time, Aaron was desiring to uh, become a worship leader. And so that was kind of a relationship Aaron and I built uh, 14 years ago. Got to know them, uh, the Stewarts, and a few others. Uh, so it's good to be with you and to see you. Uh, a little bit about myself. Uh, as he said, my name's Kirby O'Brien, my wife Mandy, uh, and our three kids, Kennedy, Peyton, and Kirby, there on the front row. Uh, I serve as a deacon of discipleship uh, at, or at Oak Park, uh, just down the street. Uh, meaning I basically oversee our Sunday school um, there. And so that is, is what I do as a um, lay person in the church. Uh, and then I just I drive a truck for a living. And so uh, it's uh, not a glamorous job, but I can give glory to Christ uh, through that work and through the opportunity I have to uh, minister to others there in that position. And so, again, I'm just thankful here to be able to open God's Word uh, with you guys and to go through uh, John, and we're going to be in John chapter 18, uh, verses 1 through 27, just thinking about at this point in John's gospel, we're seeing this shepherd, Jesus, he's going from the shepherd to the lamb. And so you think about that. He's going from being the shepherd, the one teaching and praying for his people, to the lamb who will be sacrificed. So the first 17 chapters of John, you see Jesus' teaching ministry, right? And he's praying over his people. And now, as the people are coming to arrest him, He's saying the hour is coming, and it's the time for him to be that sacrificial lamb, the unblemished sacrifice. So as we look at this chapter of 18 of John, we'll look back to see where we are in the timeline. So if, it's, if you go back to chapter 12, so before we read 18, we'll kind of go back a little bit. But if we go back to John chapter 12, uh, it says in verse 1, it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So we're in the Passover week, the Passion Week, this time of remembrance of the Jews to remember what happened back in in Exodus there. But take note who was from Bethany. Did you notice that John wrote in chapter 1 that Bethany was where Lazarus was, where Mary and Martha was? And it's important to note that as we get further on in the passage and what the people would have known of Jesus' miracles in that city. So that was Saturday in chapter 12, that Jesus traveled to Bethany. On Sunday, uh, Palm Sunday, Jesus went to Jerusalem. If you remember the people laying down the palm branches, right? Saying, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. On Monday, he enters Jerusalem. Uh, On Tuesday, he curses the fig tree. Uh, Wednesdays, uh, Judas has set forth a betrayal agreement. And on Thursday, we come to the Lord's Supper, and we see that. And many things happened during that week. We don't have really time to expound that. I know you guys have been going through that uh, already, but that's where we find ourselves, is on Thursday 
of the Passion Week. Uh, the Last Supper has happened. He's washed their feet. He's already proclaimed that Judas would be the one to uh, betray him. Uh, and he has mentioned that it is his hour, his time has come. And so this is where we find ourselves. Now that they have finished their dinner, Judas has fled to get the Pharisees and the Romans, right? And Jesus and the faithful eleven have come to the garden. They've come to the garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus has often gone to pray to find solace. This is also where we can see that Jesus is done with his earthly ministry. So I mentioned, right, he's done with his teaching and praying. So yes, Jesus will always be the good shepherd, right? So we've, we go back and we read uh, in chapter 10 where he says, I'm the good shepherd, right? I lay down my life for my sheep. So yes, he will always be that good shepherd, but the one and the one who lays down his life. But here we see that Jesus is moving from being that shepherd to being the sacrificial lamb. And as we look here in chapter 18, we see the great love and concern that Jesus has for his disciples. Uh, we, just saw his, or we just saw how lovingly and passionately he prays on their behalf, right? The high priestly prayer, prayer there in chapter 17. Now we see how he longs to protect them. He is the advocate, concerned for his own, and as the good shepherd would be concerned for his sheep. You wouldn't call a shepherd good if he doesn't care for them, right? Jesus has shown his concern for us. He's procured their safety in the moment while he knew that hardship, betrayal, agony, and pain awaited him. Jesus wasn't blind to what was coming. Jesus knew what was before him, right? You've already seen that he knew the cup that he had to drink, the wrath that he had to take on, the sin that he had to bear for his people. So keep in mind, as we read this, uh, these 27 verses from 18, keep in mind what he said in chapter 17, verse 12. He says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, the son of de- except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. So keep that in mind of what was just mentioned in the high priestly prayer. So John 18, verses 1 through 27, let's read that. When Jesus had spoken the words, he went out with his disciples across the brook of Kidron, where there was a garden, where he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some, some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those who you, whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servants and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain, the officers of the Jews, arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside of the door, so the other disciple who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl, girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, 
You are also not one of the, this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. And they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his, his teaching. Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple. Where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I have said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of the disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. So we think about that. One thing I want to mention is just not today, not trying to bring all the Gospels together, not trying to bring Matthew, Mark, and Luke's account in with John's, but focusing on what John is trying to teach us here in this passage. So three things I want us to see today is the willing servant, the weak follower, and the worthy Savior. So as we go through that, uh, just think about those things. Looking back, back again in John twelve twenty three, Jesus had said to the disciples that the hour had come. He said the time was coming for him was to die. It was a time for the Son of Man to be glorified. This hour begins with an unfair trial and a betrayal, moves to a gruesome beating and a crowning of thorns, and ending with the torture of the violent death on the cross. Wait, it doesn't end with a cross, right? What does it end with? It ends with the resurrection and the glorification of the Son of man. There is no doubt that this very dark and gloomy part of Jesus' earthly life had yet to, uh, that this was a very dark and gloomy part of his life, right? He's about to endure all these things. It's important to see here that he had yet to endure any physical violence at its time on earth. It was just verbal assaults. This, however, was a time for pain and death. This was God's appointment for him. He knew it was coming. Though all these emotional and painful things were happening and continuing to come, John wants us to know that Jesus was not a victim. Jesus was not a victim here. Remember, John twenty thirty one. in this purpose of what John is wanting to show us. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you have life in his name. That's what John's pointing us to, that we would have life in Jesus. John wants you and me to believe that Jesus that he wrote about, is the anointed Son of God. John also wants to see that Jesus was not trapped, he wasn't tricked, he wasn't deceived, fooled, or surprised. He knew this was coming. Jesus, I'll say it again, was not a victim. He had control over who took his life. John 10, 17, and 18. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This wasn't man's concoction taking Jesus' life. This was Jesus willingly giving his life up, right? You see this. So Jesus was not the victim. This wasn't Satan's plot to kill Jesus and defeat God, but it was God's predetermined plan. God and Satan came together here with two different intentions. Satan intended to defeat the Lord, to kill Jesus. 
and let darkness prevail. But God won. God triumphed gloriously. See, Jesus knew that Judas would search for him in the garden. You see, many times in the Gospels and even in the book of John that Jesus goes to the garden of Gethsemane to pray. And Judas would have known that, right? As being a disciple, he would have been with him and known where he would have gone. A regular place for him to be. This was purposeful on Jesus' part as he knew what was coming. If you remember in the Lord's Supper, what does he tell Judas? Go and do what you have to do, right? He's actually sending him out to go get the people to come back to arrest him. There were other instances that the authorities sought to arrest Jesus, but Jesus would simply slip from the crown, right? In John eleven fifty four, it said that Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews because they were seeking to put him to death. But now he embraced it. He was allowing it to happen because before it wasn't his time, but now it was his time. Hear this. Hear this quote from John Calvin. It says, The body of the Son of God was bound so that our souls might be loosed from the cords of sin and Satan. So as Jesus is allowing the arrest to happen, as he was allowing the, the bounding of his, his flesh to happen, that was so our souls could be loosed. And as we look at this willing servant, see how he stepped forward willingly. See how he accepted what was coming. Notice he asked, in John's gospel, if you notice, it never mentions that Judas kissed him, right? But Jesus, Jesus sought it out. He stepped forward and said, who are you seeking? Right? He asked the question. He said, who do you seek? And before anything they presented, he threw himself out there. He embraced the cup that the Father determined for him to drink. He knew what he faced with the coming cross. If you look back at Psalm 22 at some point today, uh, if you read through there, you'll see this. He knew that the dogs were approaching. He knew the stampede of bulls was surrounding him, that the lions were coming to devour him. As Isaiah said, his, his very soul will be poured out to death. He knew that the Father would turn his face from him at the cross. He knew all these things were coming, but Jesus stepped out and asked, Who do you seek? He didn't wait. He didn't cower. Some will look back at 2 Samuel 15 when when David was betrayed by his son Absalom. You remember Absalom went around and started gathering people and said, hey, how can we overthrow David? And and was contriving something to happen. What did David do? David fled. But Jesus stood firm and actually stepped forward willingly to take these things on for us. He was going to take on the wrath of God for sinful man. Notice he does, does this with authority as well. When he says, I am he, what is he invoking? The name of God, right? When Moses asks, whom should I say that sent, you, that sent me? And God responds, I am. And so Jesus here is proclaiming the same thing when he replied, I am. And notice that they all fell back to the ground because there was power and authority in that word. And knowing that there was a time coming in the future when every knee will bow before Jesus whether a believer or an unbeliever, every knee will bow. There is power in his name. Now, he could have called all of heaven to the rescue with his authority. Do you remember what he did over the weather when the storm was coming? He told the wind to be still, right? And it was calm. He had authority over that. What could he have produced to defeat these men? There's a number of things he could have done, but he chose not to, right? He chose to accept the cup that was before him. 
He was proclaiming his deity that he was God, and they still couldn't see it. He also stepped forward in love. See how he asked whom they were seeking? When they said, Jesus of Nazareth, and he said, I am he. In verses 8 and 9, he says, I told you that I am he, right? So if you seek me, let these men go. Oftentimes, what happens when we are accused of something? What do we do? Hey, what about that guy? Hey, he's in the same boat, right? He's doing the same thing as me. If you get pulled over for speeding, what do you usually tell the officer? Well, you didn't see the car behind me or the car in front of me? You start pointing people out. It happens at work. You know, people will, uh, a supervisor will say something about your uniform. A lot of guys will just go, you see that guy? What about his, what about his uniform? And you start bringing other people in. But Jesus said what? Let these men go. That was to fulfill the word that we just talked about in John 17, 12. Protect these people, right? He was protecting them. He was saying, if these guys are innocent, let them go. He was showing his love for them, his love for us. He knew some of these men would forsake him anyway at his greatest hour of need. Not to say that they would, not, that they would become apostates and wouldn't believe, but that just they would flee in fear. If you notice, when Jesus comes back, do you remember Thomas's nickname? Doubting Thomas, right? Because they're still struggling to believe. And you see this even with Peter in this first part of the passage that Peter was struggling to believe. But even as, Moses, or as Miles spoke last week of community, think of this. The son left a perfect fellowship only to be deserted. He had perfect fellowship, right, with the Father and the Spirit. Now his closest people on earth are deserting him running and fleeing in a time of trial. Once he was adored in heaven, and now he was jeered by man. He had joy for eternity, but now he drank the bitter cup. For who? The very people who betrayed him. The very people who ran away, and the very people who would crucify him. Think about that, about how worthy he is, and we will get there in a moment. But he did all this because he loved him. Now, in verse 10, we see that Peter still doesn't quite get what Jesus was, had been teaching him, right? Over the past three years, Peter had been walking closely with Jesus. We see that Jesus and John were some of the closest disciples to him. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Those two are with him. You often see Peter and John going off with Jesus alone, not the full 12. So he was one of the closest disciples. At one point when Jesus is asked, who do, you, who do people say I am? Then he said, who do you say and who do you say I am? What did Peter say? He said, you are the Christ, right? But Peter's idea was still this thought that the, the kingdom of God was to reign on earth. And what did Jesus keep saying? My kingdom is not here. It's not what you think it is. And Peter was still trying to take things into his own hands. He still believed that Jesus' kingdom was coming by force or simply some other earthly manner as he draws his sword out to strike Malchus. He couldn't let Jesus be taken. If you remember, he said earlier that, no, Jesus, you can't die. But do you remember what Jesus had said earlier in his ministry when he foretold his death and Peter said he wouldn't die? Did he say, get behind me, Peter? No. What did he say? Get behind me, Satan. Peter here is lucky that either he had poor aim or Malchus had good moves because he only cut off his ear. Imagine if he had, had cut off his head. Now, I'm sure if Jesus can form an ear and heal that, that he could reattach Malchus's head as well. 
But there have been dire consequences if, if he was to kill the man because of capital punishment, right? Right there in front of everybody. There is grace from the Lord that he only cut off his ear. Now, Jesus told Peter to put away his sword, that it was only right for Jesus to drink the cup that the Father had given. Now, the truth here is that sometimes we can be like Peter. We can be just like him in this moment. We can see what the God is calling us to do, and we can say, that doesn't seem like it's the right way to do it. Here's a better way that I'm thinking of we should do it. It's foolishness. Foolishness. Seeing what's been set before us, not believing it is the right thing to do, and that there must be a better way, and ultimately trying to take matters into our own hands. But when we take matters in our own hands, and we lose sight of Jesus' purposes, or God's will, we will falter and fail, and ultimately do the wrong thing. And this is where Peter is ultimately failing to see what Jesus has been teaching. But Jesus shows us that he is the willing servant. Like him, we need to be willing to accept with joy the lot that God has given us. So at times, we think that Jesus shouldn't be arrested and shouldn't die because he's the Son of Man, he's the Messiah, right? So uh, Peter is saying, no, you should be glorified, you should be reigning here on earth. We can't let this happen because if you die, then maybe you're not the Messiah we thought you were. Peter didn't understand. But Jesus still trying to teach them and show them that he was willing to die for them, to be their sacrifice. Now, much more can be said about these 11 verses, but looking through this whole passage, um, we won't, don't want to dive into everything that's in here, but I just want you guys to see through that how Jesus was willing to be arrested, to be bound, so that your soul may be loosed. Just think about that this morning. Think about how much he has done for you as your servant, as your shepherd, as your sacrificial lamb. Now we come to, in verse uh, 12, uh, kind of two different dramas unfolding. Both Peter's denial and then the trial of Jesus before Annas and Caiaphas. We'll start with verse 15, thinking there in uh, Peter's denial. Um, and we see here the weak follower. Right? So Peter is a follower of, of Jesus, And Peter was always the most vocal one about, I will never leave you or desert you, or I will be here for you, I will fight for you till death, right? But we see in this moment, Peter is weak. Think about this. In the very moment that Peter was denying Jesus, Jesus was drinking the sin of that betrayal from the cup that the Father had given him. Jesus was loving Peter even in the very moment of such tragic deeds. So as Peter is sinning and saying, I don't know this man, Jesus is still saying, I'm dying for that sin you're committing in this very moment. Jesus on the way to the cross to die for the sins of Peter that he was committing. Think about that. How precious that is that even in those moments, he's not turning his back on us, even when we're sinning, that he was still willing to die. Something we must note, however, is that Peter had at least enough courage to go with John. That's the other disciple mentioned here. John never mentions himself by name. But we know it's John in the same sense of, uh, in the end of the book, he mentions the other disciple. And uh, in one of the Gospels, it mentions that Peter and John were running to the tomb. But he had enough courage to go with John to the place where Jesus had been taken. Peter was still following Jesus. He wanted to be near him. You know, we often berate Peter 
for his denials, right? We always often look at Peter as like, how can you deny Christ when you've been with him? Without making note of the fact that he was still there. Were the other disciples mentioned of being there? Oh, just John and Peter. So I think it's important to know that Peter was still, even though he denied him, was wanting to be near him. He's following from a distance. John had gone in. He knew the high priest. There's a, uh, a relational aspect there if you kind of look back at who John's uh, parents were and how they were actually related to Elizabeth, whose husband was a, a priest. So he was known to the high priest. And he seemingly didn't fear the association with Jesus. He was willing to go in. We can call Peter a coward. That would be true. But where would we be if we answered that question honestly? Where do we find ourselves now? Where would you be if Jesus is on trial and you felt that anyone associated with him would endure the same penalty? Would you be willing to say, yes, I'm a follower? What about today? Are you willing to say, yes, I'm a follower? Peter did just tell Jesus that he would follow him anywhere and that he would even die for Jesus. But Peter's bravery was gone. Maybe it was because of Jesus' rebuke in the garden. Remember when he cuts off the ear, what does Jesus tell him? Put away your sword. What are you thinking? He was rebuked. Maybe that caused him to cower a little bit. But why would Peter be afraid of a servant girl? If you remember in the first denial there, it says a servant girl at the door asked him who he was. Really, what could she do? What could a, a young servant girl, girl do to this, uh, this fisherman? I don't think she could do anything. Why be afraid of her? I get it. It was a moment of weakness. Don't we all have those? We have that moment of weakness where we are either in fear or just entrapped and sneered by something. He may have been caught off guard and not prepared to answer. What's funny is you think about 1 Peter 3.15. What does it say? Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within you and to do it with gentleness and respect. And so Peter, in a sense, is saying, always be prepared to give this answer. And in this moment, it's like Peter gets asked the question. And it's like, uh, no. He's not ready to give an answer. He wasn't ready uh, to uh, give this answer from this young girl. Did he forget? I mean, did he honestly just forget that he was with Jesus? As a kid, I usually got in trouble because my mom would ask me a question, and I would give her an answer, and then she would say, that's all. And I'm like, I think so. And then she said, well, I know the rest of the story. And she would mention, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that did happen. And I remember a time with uh, my uncle had seen me riding my bike in a uh, downtown area where I wasn't supposed to be. And so when I got home, my mom said, where were you? And I said, well, we were riding our bikes. Did you go anywhere? Oh, not really. And I'd honestly forgotten. And she said, well, you know, it was funny. Your dad was on your phone with your uncle, and he saw you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we did go downtown. By that time, it was too late. But I don't think Peter forgot. I think, honestly, Peter was scared and afraid. And didn't know what to do. But by this time, the lie had been started. Once a lie begins, how do you keep it going? Telling more lies. You have to keep telling that lie and repeating that lie. And for that lie to grow, for it to remain hidden. And he kept denying. You see, as he moved over to the fire, he was asked again. And he denied Jesus again. See, even after the first denial, and he stays around trying to blend in. So he moves away. He's around the fire, right? He's standing amongst the people. But how does a Galilean fisherman blend in with these city folks? I mean, it's like a person from Boston going to Alabama. They're going to stand out. 
They're pretty noticeable. When my wife and I first started uh, dating and she came down to visit my family, it was pretty noticeable that she was not from Central Florida. It's pretty noticeable that she was from somewhere in Alabama or from somewhere in the South uh, because of her accent. I can remember being in Minnesota with my grandmother uh, walking down the street. We're having a conversation, and someone just stopped and asked her where she was from because she noticed there was something different about the way she spoke. And i got to imagine here in this place, you hear a Galilean speaking. They're going to sound different. There's an accent. We know that. There's a different accent if you meet someone from Minnesota to New York to California to wherever. They're going to sound different. They're going to stand out. They're going to even look different or maybe dress different. Then even a relative of the one whose Peter, Peter's ear or whose Peter had cut off the ear of asked if he was one of Jesus' disciples, and again he denied it. And this brought forth the cock-a-doodle-doo, right? This was where Jesus had, had prophesied, you will deny me three times and a rooster will crow. And immediately Peter knew what had happened. Now, I will mention the other Gospels do notice that Jesus looked at Peter and saw him. And Peter felt a bit of shame and guilt. You know, John doesn't bring it out here, but the other Gospels mention how adamant Peter was with his third denial. The other ones tell us that he cursed and swore, right? He was adamant. No, I'm not with him. And began to be belligerent. I doubt that any, any who asked him had the right to arrest Peter. And I'm sure that they may have even seen John speak to the servant girl to bring Peter in. It had, had, had to be obvious. Now, this is conjecture. This is looking into the story and looking into maybe uh, uh, what could have been. But what if Peter had answered yes? And one of them had then asked Peter to tell him how they could follow Jesus just like him. What if? We can't really make those what if statements, but... But if we look at it and say, what if he would have said yes and someone was going to ask him, how do I follow Jesus like you do? Peter's words of denial, I am not, we can see here are the tragic counterpoint to what we saw in the first 11 verses where Jesus said, I am, right? But even as the rooster was crowing, Jesus was still loving Peter to the end. Our sins do not separate us from the love of Jesus, but Jesus rather separates us from the love of our sin and from sin's guilt and power. Peter's threefold full denial of Jesus will be answered in time by Jesus' threefold restoration. You'll see that coming in John 21, right? When he asks, do you love me? And he asks him that three times, and there's that restoration. But I want you to see that there's a difference between Peter and Judas. Peter showed remorse in ultimately uh, leading to repentance. We know that in the story, right? Peter became an apostle and one of the great uh, teachers of God. Judas had remorse, but what did that lead to? It led to guilt, and it ultimately led to suicide, right? And so there's a vast difference between the two. And so even when we look at Peter as being the weak follower, there's still much good in Peter. And there is encouragement there that though we fall, it's not the end. Jesus is still loving us and willing to die for us. Now looking back at the trial... Looking back in verses 12 through 14 and 19 and 24, the uh, trial before Annas and Caiaphas, um, we want to note that Jesus actually endured six trials. You'll kind of come to the trial before Pilate, um, I believe, in the next week or so. Uh, so if we look at 
uh, here with Caiaphas, an important notice, if you go back to John eleven forty seven through 53, it says, So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not only for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Caiaphas was saying that it would be... Uh, that it would be Jesus that died, not the rulers of the Jewish nation, the corrupt, unbelieving rulers. I don't think Caiaphas had the intention here of the uh, substitutionary atonement. He wasn't thinking of Jesus being the sacrificial lamb. He was just thinking, if we cut off the head of the snake, this movement will be over, right? It's better for him to die than for us to die. We need to nip it in the bud, so to say. But God used Caiaphas to prophesy the truth about Christ's death and what it would bring. Ultimately, it's irony at its finest. It's irony. Here's a man who is innocent. He has done nothing wrong and committed no sin. But he finds himself bound and being illegally interrogated, even being struck without cause. Those who were condemning Jesus were fully blind to who Jesus was. Think about it. They had seen his miracles. They had heard his words. They had to have either seen or heard about his latest miracle, creating the ear for Malchus, right? That had to have been the talk of the town at the moment. And they saw that, that he could heal in an instant, that he could create an ear out of nothing. And many would have certainly known about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, as Bethany was only a couple miles from Jerusalem. So if you remember at the beginning, I read that verse in chapter 12, 1, that says that he came to Bethany, right? Where Lazarus lived. So being so close, they would have known about Jesus resurrecting someone from the dead. But they still didn't believe. Simply put, they knew the deeds and the power of Jesus, but they were blind to the truth and the darkness covered their hearts. They were set to carry out their purpose and to blindly and unknowingly do what God had ordained. Think of Joseph's words in Genesis 50, 20. Do you remember what Joseph went through? His brothers tried to kill him, put him in a pit, decided to sell him. And everywhere along the way, Joseph was faithful. But people turned their backs or betrayed him. It ultimately led to him serving um, for the Pharaoh. It says, as, as for you, you meant evil against me. He's talking to his brothers here. But God meant it for good to bring it, bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So Caiaphas and these leaders meant for the death of Jesus to be the end of this crazy movement, right? The end of this Messiah claiming uh, to be God himself. But God meant it for good, right? He meant it to be the atoning sacrifice for his people. Now here's part of the reason why this trial is illegal. It was done at night. It was done in the dark. It's not how it's supposed to be. It was supposed to be in the light before people. Now, the leaders wanted to get him sooner, but they knew there would be trouble in the daytime. This is the very reason why they arrested him in the dark. They knew that a, a riot would ensue. 
And in verse 19, they began to question him. They didn't care about the answers. They had already plotted to kill him. They didn't even have the right to ask Jesus to commit self-incrimination. If you think about it so much, people will compare this to our uh, Fifth Amendment, right? You have the right to invoke the Fifth Amendment, not to incriminate yourself in the same way they had that there in the, in the Jewish uh, law. But Jesus remained calmed and only asked that he be treated legally to show his innocence and their guilt. So we think about this worthy Savior. Here's an innocent man going on our behalf, enduring an unjust trial and a beating to show his worth as an unblemished, perfect lamb. In all of this, Jesus never stopped the shenanigans. Rather, he incurred our penalty and went through the trial that should have been for us. He was an innocent man, a holy deity that proved his worthiness of being called Savior. So when we think about these things, we think about a willing servant, a weak follower, or a worthy Savior. What does that do for us? What does that mean for us today? Well, thinking about this um, over the last few days is, is, is this. Is one is Jesus is, was willing to take on the task to him given by the Father. We too need to be obedient to the task set before us. That task is simple. To deny yourself daily and take up your cross. That's what he calls us to do. To be obedient. To be the willing servant of the faithful Lord. Second is to recognize your weakness. Don't have self-confidence in yourself. Don't believe that you are okay on your own. That you don't need somebody's help. But have confidence from a loving father. Have confidence in Jesus' work on your behalf. Have confidence in the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. If you're a believer today, what we'd say is that the Holy Spirit now indwells you and gives you power. Right? What does Paul write? He does not give us a, a spirit of fear, right? But a spirit of power. That is where our confidence comes from. It's from the spirit that lives within us. So when you think you're weak, know that you are strong in him. And recognize your weakness. And third, consider the things of this world worthless and compared to the value that is found in the perfect, unblemished lamb who sacrificed himself for us. The world wants to preserve themselves, but Jesus laid down his own life for us. He's the worthy Savior. He is the one worth living for. So think about this. He willingly stepped forward in love and authority to manifest his excellencies that we might declare them in this life and experience them perfectly in the next. No matter what comes our way, no matter what hardships we face, disappointments we encounter, hurts, pains, losses, we know that our great Savior has willingly taken our place, given us the Holy Spirit for help, and shown himself worthy of our love and obedience. Knowing what is happening in your life, knowing that um, your spouse is facing sickness, knowing that there doesn't seem like there's light at the end of the tunnel. Look beyond that. Look to the one who has died for you. If you're here and you haven't trusted Christ, even if you've been in church your whole life, or maybe it's the first week or first month for you, see that picture in the beginning of our passage where Jesus was willing to take this for you. You can stand with Christ in his love and authority, worshiping and adoring him. 
or you can turn away like Judas. I plead that you would see Christ's beauty and worth, that you would call on him as Lord and Savior. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, just how your scripture teaches us the truth of who you are. Shows us how willing you were to step in for a world who turned their back on you. Who thought their way was better. But you still said, I will die for you. That even in our weakness, that you give us strength and you don't leave us to die on our own. But that as we follow you, you carry us along. Lord, also just knowing that you are so worthy of everything that we have to give. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.